Let's open up then to Mark chapter 11. We're working our way through this book. It's a big one. And I think we're going to see some great things. I want to say up front that we're going to start to touch on some things that we're going to have to follow up on. Uh, I say that a lot, but it's true. So let's dig in. We're going to first ask God to bless this time. And then we'll get going with some prizes. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You that You uh, have given us Your Spirit for those, enough, for those of us who know You as Savior, that Your Spirit is in us and will teach us and guide us. Lord, we want to be obedient. We need to be obedient. So change our hearts and our, our uh, lives so that we can, we can honor You by obeying what You say. In Jesus' name, Amen. Raise your hand if you were here last week. Okay, so this is for you. Last week's message was entitled, A Follower's... What? Fruit. And I have fruit for you. Oh, I missed. Follower's Fruit. That's right. Um, I think this is one of my favorite topics of all of Scripture. I put in some verses there to remind us about this whole concept of fruit. And I bring this up for a specific purpose. Look at John 15, 1 and 2. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He takes away every branch that does not bear fruit in me. He prunes every branch that bears fruit, so that it will be more so that it will bear more fruit. God is about producing fruit from your life, from my life. And that's what we're here for. That's what this is all about, whether that's producing fruit by sharing God's love to the lost, or whether it's producing fruit by, by uh, sharing God's love with each other. That is why we're here. And I never miss an opportunity to either build on or touch on this concept of building fruit because that's the, that's the whole point. And the cool thing is, is this concept of bearing fruit, if you don't, if you don't remember, last week um, was that powerful story about how Jesus went to a fig tree and there was no fruit on it. Well, guess what happened to the fig tree? He cursed the fig tree and the next morning it was withered and had died. Um, Jesus is serious about fruit. And if there's vessels or uh, trees or branches that aren't producing fruit, He is serious about changing that. And He's serious about um, addressing that so that they'll produce more fruit. And if there isn't fruit, quite frankly, one day He'll be serious about disposing of that branch because we know that all who truly know Christ will produce fruit. So I think I wanted to remind you with that, a huge challenge that your life is supposed to be bearing fruit for God. And we're going to tie that in. We're going to talk about that. And it's really going to be amazing, I hope. Followers' authority is what we're going to talk about today. A follower's authority. First of all, we're going to take a look at Jesus' authority being questioned by scribes and Pharisees. We're going to take a look at a fruit parable about authority. Parable, a story that Jesus used many times to tell truthful things through kind of a make-believe story. Usually was, was either intentionally kind of subtle or many times made hard concepts easier to relate to and understand. We're going to talk about a, a really great chunk of verses in there that teaches us about balancing authority. We're going to touch on the highest authority and the highest commands from that authority. And finally, I'm thankful for this, we're going to see an example of a woman who was living this high calling, who was, who was demonstrating this high authority 
uh, and bearing fruit through her life. And that'll be good, but it'll be bad. It'll be bad because it's going to step on our toes and it's going to show us that, hey, we're going to have to change if we're going to be imitating that example. So let's dig into it. Let's read 11, 27 through 33. Read with me if you would. Then they, they being Jesus and his disciples, then they came again to Jerusalem. And as he, Jesus, was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. So they answered and said to Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now quickly, what are these things? Anyone remember? Hint, look back, look back. Anyone? These things were probably referring to um, Jesus going into the temple and cleaning house. There was really a lot of greed going on in the temple and, and the whole form of worship had been totally taken advantage of by, the, by many of the leaders and merchants so that they could make money off of people's desire to worship. And Jesus had went in in no uncertain terms and had cleared that place. Um, other passages you can read that he even took a whip and, and uh, kind of went to town on, on raising a ruckus to make it clear, overturning tables. And it was very clear that, that uh, Jesus was completely unhappy. And here a challenge. Who do you think you are, Jesus? By what authority do you do these things? And there's only a couple points here that I want to bring out, but a big one, a big one, is Christ refuses to even answer them. Did you notice that? They ask Him, by what authority are you doing these things? Now these are... These are high people. These are not just people off the street. These scribes, these Pharisees, these elders, these were the leaders of Israel. But I love Christ's response here. Christ, I think, demonstrates how high His authority is. And Christ demonstrates a complete confidence and a complete security in the authority that God has given Him. And how does He show that? He doesn't even answer them. doesn't even answer them. And once again, as kind of a side note, we'll see here that Jesus was a master of responding, wasn't He? That Jesus was so good at knowing what to say and when to say it and how to say it. And I thought it was just really cool that Jesus showed His ultimate authority by deciding whether or not He was going to answer. And in this case, He says it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you where, I'm getting, where, where I have gotten this authority. But He had it, didn't He? Let me ask you the question, what authority did he have? What authority did Christ have? Well, there's a, a couple of verses here that are just so powerful. Take a look at John 5, 26 and 27. Let's, let's see, who is this Jesus? What gave him the right to do these kind of things? For just Jesus says, For just as the Father has life in himself, 
Thus he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted the Son authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Jesus' authority comes directly from who? God Himself, the ruler of the universe. Who are we dealing with here, people? We're dealing with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Son of God. What authority did He have? He had all authority because God had given Him authority. Take a look at another group of verses. Mark Smith would laugh at me because I use this group of verses so many times, but I love it. It's so powerful. Take a look. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Uh, the heading would be called the supremacy of Christ. See where it ties in here with authority. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and on earth were created by Him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and all things are held together in Him. He is the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that He Himself may become first in all things. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in the Son, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself by making peace through the blood of His cross, through Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Take a minute to soak that in. Who is this Jesus? He is the highest. He is the authority. He's the Creator. He's the Head. And God has seen fit that all the fullness dwell in Him. This is no simple man. This is no simple situation. Why is this passage of Jesus' authority being questioned even put in here? Well, I think one of the clear reasons is because it speaks to you and it speaks to me. Listen up, people. This is the highest authority. And what He says to us, the things He's going to teach, the things He's going to lay out, are not suggestions. They are commands from the highest authority. And let me put it this way. Your life exists to honor the Creator. The uh, etching that I love to look at, I guess it would be a print from the etching. Maybe I'm screwing up the terminology in, but in uh, hanging in, in the Tenacious uh, living room was done by Ian, and that was designed to bring pleasure. That was designed for a certain purpose. And that canvas reflects the design and purpose of the artist. You are the canvas. You are a specific creation for a specific purpose, and that is to bring glory to God. There are no suggestions on that. That's not a debatable issue. That is the reality. And I think we need, going forward, we need to understand what kind of authority that we're dealing with here. It's serious. It's serious. Let me give you a little, little view of the overview because I think we're going to see something painted here that just blows my mind. Remember back a few verses we saw the fig tree and we had a reminder about producing fruit, didn't we? Now, in a totally different situation, a totally different group of people, we have Christ's authority questioned. We're going to look at this overview occasionally because we're going to see a masterful layout here. 
more about that. Let's look at the second point. A fruit parable about authority. Verses 12, 1 through 12. I'm sorry, chapter 12, 1 through 12. Read it with me. Then he, Jesus again, then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower, and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now at vintage time he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent them another servant, and at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully treated. And again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to the last, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Another group of twelve verses, it seems Seems different, doesn't it? But this is a natural flow. This is a connection. This is a story that Jesus told for a specific purpose. And listen to this. As we go into it, I'm convinced one of those specific purposes, or a part of that specific purpose, was so that you would hear it. And so that you would gain direction from it. Questions. Who owns the vineyard? Again, this is a parable. It's representing... The, the reality. Who owns the vineyard? God Himself. Remember, we talked about the highest authority, the Creator. Okay, that's, this is a picture. This parable is a picture of that. And God Himself is the owner of the vineyard. Notice that the vine dressers, the people in the vineyard, did they have ownership of it? No, they were stewards. They were caretakers. They were tenants. Okay, significant point. The, the vineyard was God's. He owned it. What was the role of the vine dresser supposed to be? He said that he set up this vineyard and then he um, put others in charge of it, put other stewards. What was their role? What would it be the role of workers in a vineyard? Think, Gregory. Yeah, producing fruit. Producing fruit. So we have a big problem here. A big problem. Because the owner of the vineyard expects what from those caring for the vineyard? Fruit. Was fruit being produced? No. No. And here we see a huge problem. Now understand, who was Christ talking to here? Christ was speaking directly to the Jewish leaders. And the reality of this was that God created earth. He set up a chosen nation, the Jewish people, didn't He? He wanted them 
to be His people. He wanted them to produce barrels and bushels and groves of fruit. But it wasn't happening. And you can trace it back. Go back all the way through Israel and you can see how many times they rebelled, how many times they did their own thing, how many times, even to the present when, when Jesus was telling this, they were off doing their own good, not for God's good. Big problems. God sent messengers to reinforce the calling, produce fruit for Him. Who were these messengers? Prophets. These were the prophets. You can read how many different times when God's people got a little off track, did He send uh, a Samuel or did He send uh, even judges or did He send a prophet to say, Hey, people, wake up! You're not doing it right. You're off track. You're, on, you're in la-la land here. You're serving yourself. It's not about you. And how did they treat those prophets? Well, you can even read books about the martyrs of the prophets in many, many cases. Um, I believe it's Hebrews that even talks about one of them being put in a log and sawn in half. Shameful, terrible treatment of God's people. And we see that shown here in this parable. The messengers, the prophets, were beaten and killed. Finally, we see a great picture. God sent His own Son to remind the workers of, his, of their calling. Do you remember when Christ first came on the scene? What was His message? Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And if you, uh, when I took a class on the life of Christ, it was fascinating to realize that Christ, when He showed up, He was legitimately saying to the Jewish people, get your act together. Turn from these ways of serving yourself. Follow Me and the kingdom will be at hand. It was not a, a, a mockery. This was not something that he wasn't going to follow through on. This was an offer for the Jewish people to get their act together again and to serve the living God, to turn from their ways of serving self, produce that fruit that they were designed to produce, and Christ would lead them. He would be their king. He would, he would uh, set things right. But how did they respond to that? More rejection. More rejection. And so, and this is fascinating, we could talk about a month on this, so instead of Christ setting up a kingdom and ruling as king, what do we see? We see the Son of God going to the cross. Why? Because another way needed to be, to be happened. People, the Jewish people were not going to turn and repent. Therefore, Christ made it possible for you to be brought in as a people and loved as a people. Look at this, Acts 2.23. This man, Jesus, who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you executed by nailing Him to a cross at the hands of Gentiles. God's own Son, the owner's Son, treated shamefully, killed. But there's a big, big point here that it involves you. And that because of that, you have this opportunity. You have an opportunity to be a part of the vineyard now. The result, when they rejected Jesus Christ, the result was that the vineyard was given to others. And that's you. Jesus shed His own precious blood so that you could be saved, so that you could be part of His family, so that you could then be a worker in His vineyard to 
produce fruit. To produce fruit. This is a huge honor and privilege. Do you understand this? This is God Himself choosing you. This also involves great responsibility. Great responsibility. And Jesus, through these verses, is laying out the reality to you that your calling demands a response. That your calling requires that you produce fruit for Him. There's going to be more to come on this. Let's take another look at this overview. And I want to point out, remember, a reminder way back from the fig tree about producing fruit. Now a totally different situation, totally different people questioned His authority. And now we have a fruit parable about authority. Now, it doesn't take a rocket science to see a connection here, does it? And I want to point out something that I think is just amazing. That God, in His supreme design, has knit together a bunch of all kinds of different situations that seem totally random, but they're producing a clear message. Let me, let me say that again. You had him with his disciples on the road and you get a lesson about producing fruit. Then he travels in a totally different situation and you have his authority question. Then he tells a parable about producing fruit and how he, God himself, and Jesus as God's son has the authority to demand fruit from your life. Totally different situations, totally different people, and we see this picture starting to be formed. And I just think it's amazing to see that God, whose bigger plan took random people and random questions and, and seemingly random situations and He's knitting them together to form a flow of thought that's going to challenge you and going to touch your life and it's going to say, okay, here's what it's all about. I think of uh, the movie National Treasure and in National Treasure there's all these different clues that have been spread all out over the place. And as they gather them and they lay them all out, it makes sense and it points this root to this great treasure. Okay, God has, is gathering seemingly random clues for you and He's starting to lay them out in a treasure map and He wants you to have the abundant life, the fruitful life, the life He designed for you. And it's going to be clear. But let me pause to ask again. Are you ready to follow the map? Are you ready for this responsibility? Because to whom much has been given, much is required, expected, demanded. Let's look at point number three. Balancing authority. The connections are going to continue. Now you try and see the connections. We have fruit. We have Jesus' authority established. Or question. We have a parable establishing His authority about producing fruit. And here, we have another part of this puzzle. Chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Then they sent to Him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch Him in His words. When they had come, they said to Him, Teacher, we know that You are true and care about no one. For you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? 
Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now up front, on the surface, what's the point of this? The question was raised to stump Jesus, wasn't it? These were people, again, different people, seemingly randomly coming to Jesus with this challenge for the whole purpose of stumping Him, catching Him in His words, showing His faults. But instead of being stumped, Jesus teaches the balance of heavenly and earthly authority. First of all, was He stumped? No way. Masterful answer. Shut their mouths like that. But look at the bigger picture. Look at the picture for you. We just read about this, this uh, we're in a vineyard and that our whole goal is to produce fruit. But Jesus, in His love for you, has given you a nugget of, of guidance on here. Because in the vineyard, it gets tough, doesn't it? I mean, think about how many different people are telling you what to do. We've got the government telling us to do this and to do that. We've got our bosses to telling us to do this or this. We have our parents telling us, do this, do that. How do you balance it all? Is that, I mean, do you, do you even take what the government has to say? Do they even have any kind of authority? And I believe that in this test, God Himself is revealing to you a key, another point on the treasure map. How do you produce fruit for Him? You honor the authority that He has set up. There are different spheres of authorities. We said this, fathers, mothers, government, church shepherds, employers, on down the line. And God expects us to honor the authority that He has put in place. And in this challenge of Christ's authority, we have a nugget of fruit bearing, people. We have a, a miracle grow, a fertilizer to produce more fruit on your branches. And that is honor the authority that God has put in place. 12.17 Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. There's a clear balance. For any of you who want more info on this, my, my uh, dad has done a great study and I, I need to ask him where he got it, but he does an entire study on this concept of spheres of authority. And it's really cool because it ties together um, all these different relationships, husbands, wives, parents and children, um, church, family, um, job, the boss, the government. And he does a great job of, of explaining how these are not random. These are all under God's authority and they have specific places where they apply and they have specific ways of coming together. But your message, be a fruit bearer who honors the authority that God has put into place. The overview, it's still, it's amazing to me. Reminder about producing fruit. Christ's authority question. A fruit parable about authority. And now, lessons on how to balance that authority in producing fruit. This is no accident. This is no accident. And the reality is pay attention. How many times have you come up to someone and, and, and said something to them and say, no way, I was going to talk to you about the exact same thing. Okay, it happens, doesn't it? What does that make you do? Whoa. This must be something that's, you know, this, it's on both our minds. Okay, this must be serious. Same kind of thing here. God has knit together about four, five more different things 
that all have come together to connect. Whoa. This is serious. This is no accident. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get your attention and my attention. Let's pay attention because he's got huge things in store. We're knitting this together. Trust me, we're going to bring it together in a pump, uh, oomph, I should say, at the end here. But the next few verses takes a huge leap. Verses 28 through 34. I've called it the highest authority. Take a look at those verses with me. Chapter 12, 28 through 34. Then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for, for there is one God and there is no other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. This is somewhat of a climax in a sense. If we're watching a, a movie, it's gradually building, building, building. Da, 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 da. Here it is. Here it is. Our highest authority gives us the summary of our highest calling. You want to know how you can bear fruit? You want to know how we're supposed to be workers in this vineyard? Here's the summary. Here's the mission statement. We watched a movie last night that everyone kept saying, oh, I loved your memo to this. No, it's not a memo. It's a mission statement. Okay? He wanted people to understand the point. Well, here's the point. You know what movie it was, did you? Here's the point. Here's the mission statement. Here's an impacting group of verses that is to hereby govern your fruit producing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Tough, tough stuff. And I think each of us would understand that, that if, we, uh, if we looked at our life, we'd realize that, that maybe eight, maybe seven, maybe six, to nine out of ten times, we're not doing it, are we? And so it brings up the key question, why isn't this happening? If we're designed to bear fruit, if that's why we're here, I'm saved, I have the Holy Spirit in me, why isn't this happening? And I think the reality is, is there's two reasons. One, a lot of times, or sometimes, there's understanding the how of this. How do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? But in reality, there's another obstacle, isn't there? And that's the wanting to obey. And if you're like me, I don't even qualify at that, I know that there are issues in your life at some point about wanting to obey this. And that motivation, that oomph, that pushing you over the, the, the edge of, of 
Bearing fruit can only come by the Holy Spirit. But let me challenge you that this is what life is all about. And if you want the abundant life, if you want to be honoring God, if you want to be who God's designed you to be, it's about living this out and producing fruit. Usually the latter, the wanting to obey, is more of the problem. But let's address the understanding how. What's so exciting to me is as we look at this big picture, one, you see that your calling is to bear fruit. Two, you see that this is no little calling. This is the calling of the highest authority in the universe, calling to you, bear fruit. This is not something that he's put his money where his mouth is. He's given his own son who sacrificed his own life to purchase you so that you would be a a worker in his vineyard who is capable of producing fruit. He has done his part and now he's laid it out to you and said, here's how you do this. You love me with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and you love your neighbor as yourself. And so I think it's only fair that we take a step back and we say, how is this life going to carry this out? How are we even going to begin to tackle this massive job? And I do not claim to know all the answers, but I want to share with you something that, I, again, I don't think is an accident. That God, I think, has, has, has perhaps given some, some suggestion, perhaps given a little bit of illumination of how we as people can start to do this. So I'd like to present to you three steps. And again, these are not necessarily inspired, but I think if we search Scripture, I truly believe we would see this as a high, high priority of God's. How do we live out this huge calling? Well, here's a, here's a summary of the, of the uh, firepower. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. I had forgotten this was here. Uh, probably symptomatic because we've got to remember the firepower for this, the authority on this is what? God's Word. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Okay, we've got to be in God's Word. If we're serious about producing fruit, we need to be serious about the guidebook, the roadmap, the reader's manual. Okay, this Holy Scriptures have to be our support. And we skip that a lot, don't we? I even skipped that. So, okay, I get to our three steps. Good reminder here. Make sure that we're in the Word. In addition, a practical challenge. It's going to be a challenge of perspective. Here's what I mean by this. Oh, there's, oh yeah, we showed that again. You can see this picture two different ways, can't you? I'm convinced we've taken this challenge of loving God with your whole mind, heart, soul, strength, two different ways. Usually how we take this is we do what we want to do and we structure our life the way we want to structure it, and then we say, oh yeah, I'm going to try in all those things that I'm doing to make sure that I'm loving God or to make sure that I'm loving our neighbors. Okay, That's one side of it. That's the fleshly, the earthly, the human, the old, the old man, the old woman in this case, side of it. But I'm convinced God has a different perspective in mind. God does not want you to try and fit Him into loving Him with what you've determined to do. He has a bigger plan. And the first issue of that 
is live your life based on God's calling, not yours. What do I mean by that? I mean everything. Everything. Too many times we determine our place in life, our role in life, even our position in life, all based on our calling and not necessarily God's calling. But let me say this, and again, search the Scriptures to make sure this is biblical, but I believe that God has a specific role that He wants you to play. Does He demand that you do it at uh, uh, latitude and longitude point A on the globe? Not necessarily, but let me make it clear that I truly believe that God has a role for you to play in this, in this vineyard. How many verses in the New Testament speak about uh, your spiritual gift, your special shape that God has made you to follow, a certain role that He has for you to play in this family of God? Okay, These are not suggestions. God has plans for your life. But the challenge has to be brought. Are you seeking His plan for your life? Or are you seeking your plan that just kind of fits Him in then as you go? got to confess to you, there have been points where, where I definitely have pursued my own thoughts, my own goal, my own life. And it's not about us. It's not about us. And whatever we do, we have to be so careful that everything we do is based on His calling for our life. And I was really, really excited because... Uh, as Christy and I were driving, driving to um, Toronto for this wedding this last week, I really think the Lord gave some breakthrough. Not necessarily a new calling, but clarity in what our calling is. And clarity about why God has put us on earth and why God has put us together on earth. And what is our purpose? Why are we here? And boy, I can't tell you the excitement and the relief to, to really to look at all these different circumstances and all these different desires and all these different situations and all these different verses in Scripture and realize, yeah, God has a plan for us. And let me state boldly that God has a plan for you and He wants to show it to you. And if you can somehow identify God's calling for your life, I'm convinced that this will be a major step in producing the kind of fruit that He really wants from you. Now, what am I talking about here? Let's take a practical example. How many times are we driven by our career as opposed to our job or our career fitting into God's ultimate plan for our life? I had a debate one time with a dear friend of mine about um, of whether or not they would just uh, pick up and move anywhere because of a job, regardless of any of the other circumstances like a local church in the area, regardless of this, regardless of that. And, the, and the, point, the point is this, is that too many times we get this tunnel vision of what we want to do, what, what we're going to accomplish. And then we'll, okay, we'll fit in the other pieces. We'll get this job, and then yeah, if I have time, we'll go to church. If I have time, we'll talk to our neighbors. But you know what, if this job really keeps me out of, you know, too busy... Our neighbors, we're not really going to talk with them. Um, we're not going to do this. We're not going to... The reality is why bigger than just our job, bigger than just our hobbies, bigger than just our desires, why has God put you here? 
And I think that's crucial for each of us to do some serious soul searching on. So I would really challenge you, whether you're alone or whether you're a team, talk about this. Think about this. Pray about this. It's not always clear. If we got Ryan up here to the front of the room, I'm not convinced that God has necessarily laid out his calling. Now, Ryan does have some clear callings, right? He's to be pure. He's to be obedient to God's Word. He's to be bold testimony at Beckman for for God. He's to abstain from all kinds of immorality and worldly lusts. But as far as the full direction of his calling, he doesn't necessarily have the full picture. And you probably won't either. We don't necessarily. No one does. But it's really exciting if you can start to identify why does God have you as a part of his body? How's he designed you? How's he shaped you? What purpose do you fill? And you know what? Then suddenly these other stresses, these other big uncertainties, these other question marks, they become details because you know that God has put you on earth for this purpose. And he's going to work out the job. He's going to work out the finance. He's going to work out the balance. He's going to work out whether or not your bid on the new house will be accepted. All of that will come together because he will lead you and direct you. But it comes back, I'm convinced, to being submissive and honoring and identifying God's calling for your life. Secondly, I'm convinced that that we have a chance to list some goals and accomplishments for carrying out that challenge. Let me give you an example. Christy and I are convinced that a huge part of our calling is to, to be a family with you. To maybe be a part of some spiritual growth in your life. To let you impact our life and our family for our spiritual growth. We're convinced that our, that our neighbors, that our unsaved friends are not accidentally put into our life, but that there's a serious call for Christy to reach out to Jody and to Linda and for me to get to know Jesse. It's not a suggestion. Those are goals. Those are accomplishments. Those are details of that calling. Now see how that fits. God has called us to be a serious, growing, vibrant part of His body. Okay? God has called us to reach out to the unsaved. That's by no means the sum. God has called us to be godly parents. God has called us to raise our children in the fear of the Lord. Okay? Those are some of our calling. Now what are the goals? We've got to reach out to our neighbors. We've got to be dedicated, sold out to this church family. We've got to be willing to give them the shirts off our back. We've got to change our schedule so that we can spend time with you and learn from you and grow with you and grow closer to you. We've got to have a job that's going to allow us to, to have flexibility, that's going to allow us to put in time with you. I, I can't be out of town personally. Personally, I can't be out of town a lot and fulfill our calling. Some people... Maybe Ken. Maybe God has a different calling for them. I'm not throwing stones at them. But understand, for us, so my, that, that shows where my job has to be. Okay? Powerful things, I think. And I think it's really going to bring a relief to your own life, to your own family, if you can start to kind of narrow down what is God's overall calling. Now, what are some of the specific things that He wants you to do? And then the exciting thing for us, and I asked your prayer about it, is that once you have an idea of what God wants you to do, now you can develop the implementation of those goals. How does your daily routine need to look to carry out God's calling? You know what the really cool thing about this is? Suddenly, the debate of whether or not it's okay for me to watch TV, whether or not it's okay for me to do this, whether or not it's okay for me to spend my time there, it all comes into focus. 
Because if my calling has specific things that need to be carried out, if my, the way I spend my time will impact whether or not those things are carried out, isn't it? And it gives so much clarity to the day-by-day things we do. For example, there are so many good things out there, aren't there? There's so many good ways of spending time. I could be emailing um, all the different campers that I counsel at Coronas weekly. And that could be a huge ministry in their lives. But for us, we don't believe that's part of God's specific calling for us. So if I spent time doing that, it would be somewhat out of bounds, we believe, is what God would want us to do. Not that it wouldn't be great, not that it wouldn't be beneficial, but do you see the funnel? Do you see the help that it starts to really give, give uh, day by day, hour by hour guidance as to what I should be doing, what I can be doing? And for us, because I have a wonderful structured wife, she's been able to lay out a schedule and say, okay, here's our week and this is the flex time, but here's what we're aiming to do so that we can do these goals, so that we can fulfill our calling. And I would really challenge you as you contemplate how would God be honored through your fruit, develop a plan for you and your family along these lines. Finally, we see a negative example of, of a lives who did not do this, a lives who instead of God's calling went with their own. In verses 38 through 44, Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplace, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts. And he goes on to say that they're seeking self-gain. He contrasts that with one of the most, I think, powerful examples um, in Scripture. One of the most. Verses 41 through 44. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and he saw how the people put money into the treasury and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites which make a quandrance. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. There's a life loving God with her whole mind, soul, strength, and heart. There's a woman who's not chosen her own agenda and then when it fits in, she's going to give up herself to accomplish God's goals. This is a woman who has taken her whole livelihood, her whole sum of her provision and given it to God and said, I am yours, I trust you, lead me, direct me, guide me. My whole goal is to bear fruit. And I think there's a powerful, powerful example. It's all His. We are His. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's not about us. Like this woman, our goal is to completely give our life to God and say, take everything from our bank account to our time, to our desires, change them, use them, shape them so that the most fruit will be produced for you, God, because you are the vine dresser. You are 
the owner. You are who I belong to and you have loved me and I want to love you back. It becomes clear, doesn't it? Again, it comes down to the, do we want to obey this? Do we want to carry this out? And I'm convinced that as a team, we need to build each other. We need to work in each other so that we can carry this out. Again, I hope there will be opportunity for more discussion. But start to think about some of these things. Why is it so hard to obey the greatest commandments? How many people understand their calling? If you really broke it down, how many Christians truly do you think understand their calling? And here they are. How can we help each other develop and follow our calling? So that we have specific examples of this widow giving it all. So that you can look at my life and say, man, Katie and Christy give it all for God's calling for their life. So I look at you and say, man, uh, Neil and Beth and this young marriage is so clear that they just give it all to God. Same with each of you. Same with each of you. I think God would truly be honored and I'm convinced that this is a, a clear message that He's designed for your ears to honor Him and please Him. Father, we desperately need Your help. Lord, who knows if, if uh, I've muddled or confused what You really want to say and, and, and how much of Your message is, has been um, hindered by, by my words. And yet, Lord, I believe fully that Your Spirit uh, has spoken to us today that You've clearly laid out um, steps of obedience that You would have Your children follow. Father, that You've clearly made us a team, a family, in honoring these and following these. And Lord, we desperately need Your help. We need Your help to tune our desires and our, and our, our um, passions so that we want to obey You. And we need Your Spirit to, to teach us and to lead us in that obedience. Father, we trust You now. We desire that You would take our lives and live them for You. We desire that You would use our times together, whether it uh, be lunch today or, or um, the meeting or in pie tonight. We pray that You would use us to sharpen and challenge and, and uh, guide each other to the path that You would have us follow. Lord, we do all this and we learn all this because we love You and need You. In Jesus' name, Amen.